into the B um, on God. I'm sorry, did I say F? I keep saying F because it's in my brain that you're switching down the keys. So, yeah, F sharp suspended to F sharp chord to B. But you just do A, G sharp, F sharp, and then to the B. Happy New Year to everyone who's gathered here on this holiday weekend, An abbreviated service, but a service that points us, I pray, in all the right directions as we enter into a new year, a new year that I perceive as a year of opportunity. And as we look at this as a year of opportunity and prepare to seize those opportunities, there's some perspective that needs to be found by all of us, and there's some hope that needs to be lived out by all of us, and there are some promises that we must claim in this coming year, believing that uh, in the end of the day, we still have a God who sits on the throne, a God who knows the end from the beginning, a God who blesses us, a God who sustains us in some of life's most difficult and challenging times, and a God who has made promises to us through His precious Son that everything is going to be okay. As we reflect on this year of opportunity and look back over the course of the last couple of years, it's hard to believe that really, in reality, we're heading into the third year of a pandemic and questions abound as to what comes next and what lies into the future and, and what is it that we need to pre- be prepared for as, as God's people, as individuals in this world. So I was making my rounds in the uh, celebration banquet uh, in November. I came to a table, and there was a woman there who had faced some extraordinary challenges over the past year in her own life with with some health challenges. And she reminded me that uh, uh, she repeats to herself something that she heard from me, and that was the question, how did we get here? with all of its confusion and, and wondering, how, how did the world change so much in such a, a short amount of time? As we shared a little bit about that, how did we get here, it uh, put my mind moving forward and, and, and really settled my heart on beginning our service today, our, our message by the question, how did we get here? And trying to provide a brief answer to that In the context of this third year of COVID, perhaps a headline that was uh, shared with me this morning (laughs) sums up where we are. The IRS put out a statement that income from stolen goods and illegal activity must be reported to the IRS. And I thought, we are living in a different world than two years ago. Well, there's a little bit of humor in that there's a, a soberness that comes with that. When we ask the question, how do we get here, the response, response becomes very clear that uh, in this culture today we are experiencing what was pronounced a number of years ago, and that is the death of God. It seems like God is some add-on or addition to our culture today, and it is God small g, not God of the Bible, not creator, not sovereign, not sustainer, but God in some generic sense, whatever you would like Him to be. And I ask myself, if that's the case, where's the hope in that? If I can create this God, if I can define Him in any way that I want, I am the final arbiter who is defining reality, and where is that hope? As I look at the culture today and ask, how did we get here? I see a culture that, uh, for all intents and purposes, is experiencing an absence of any remnant of the Judeo-Christian ethos. 
any haunting of what we formerly understood to be that Judeo-Christian ethos that God created in the beginning and all that transpires from that. So sad is our culture today that there is a generation of young people in so many corners of Western civilization, the United States as you know it, who can make no meaningful tie between the Christmas season and the birth of a Savior. Never heard that story. It is rare to them. It is a fable to them. They've never seen that reality in their own families and in their own life. And of course, we're living in an age in which there's the end of morality, at least the way we once knew it to be. You can now name your sexuality, live out that sexuality, have no guilt or shame over that sexuality, and there are dire consequences to that. I believe that the culture is experiencing today, but I don't think it's going to get any better. And you're saying, I thought you said this was a year of opportunity. Well, hang with me, because it is. But you have to be aware of what's happening. You've got to know your culture, and you have to know the problems that we're facing. For in this culture, there's the erasing of any type of personal responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault, usually the man or the system, and nobody is held accountable for their choices. And then there's the chaos of collective ignorance of things that matter most and of reality as we know it. And in the reshaping of this culture and the world, there is a void, and that void has been stepped into by the control of the political class and the cultural elites and the educational forces of today. There's been a grand overthrow of life as we knew it. The older you are, the more clear this overthrow presses upon your mind. And you ask yourself, how did we get here? This began a long time ago. And it was written about and exposed to the world in the Communist Manifesto that made it very clear that the Communist Manifesto and Marxism everywhere supports a revolution and a movement against the existing social and political order of things. The very goal is to upend the culture and to redefine it. And their ends can only be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions And of course, if you've read any of Marx's writings, the social condition that he targeted as the number one problem in the culture was religion, but even more so, biblical Christianity. We once called the religion as the opium of the people. That's the world that we've inherited. That's the world in which we live. And you can debate philosophies, and you can debate perspectives, but there are certain facts that cannot escape us, and facts matter. And the fact is the world has changed. And in all of the questions that we have, how did we get here, it is not going to be unchanged by answering all of those questions. It will only be changed by substituting that question for a different and better question. And I suggest that question is, okay, now what do we do? And that's really where I want to go this morning as Christians, understanding the culture, being aware of this reality, and then asking ourselves, okay, what now? There's a passage of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount where Christ uh, makes it very clear about the culture and His dominance and sovereignty over all of the created essence. And at the end of that chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, He says in Matthew 6, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." He tells us in this world there will be tribulation in John chapter 16, but that He's overcome this world. So we look at the tribulation, and we look at the culture, and and we realistically assess, how did we get here? And then we seek to find an answer. And the answer isn't in wringing our hands, isolating in anxiety and fear, worrying about one thing or another, but somehow finding a perspective that takes this from a year of pandemic yet again, year three, to a year 
of opportunities. If you have your Bibles open, turn, follow in verse 25. If not, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 begins to expound or teach on this Sermon on the Mount, this, this message of Christ, and there's some really interesting things that He says there. And those things are said as an encouragement. Just prior to this, He talks about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He's looking at the big picture, the grand scope of of the narrative history from the creation of the world. And in verse 25 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to his listeners, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What a succinct way of granting a certain amount of perspective. Don't worry about it. Don't be controlled by those fears and those anxieties and those worries. And when he speaks of life, he is speaking of all of life, the the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, the essence of our being, our our total life here under the sun. And just prior, he says, "You, you can't serve two masters, so stop being anxious about your life. And in essence, he's saying, trust me. He continues, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body and what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He then transitions into giving an example of of how He sustains this this culture in which we live, the, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to His span of life? It seems we're obsessed by extending our lives, obsessed by medical treatments that will give us yet one more year. But the truth of the matter is, something's going to get you. And it's appointed unto man once to die. And it's not the end of everything. It's the beginning of eternity as we know it. He says, can you add another, another year to your life, another hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing, considering the lilies of the field, how they grow? They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It's the testimony of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And by everything that we see around us, there is this loud megaphone screaming that there is a God, and He has created all things, and we would know that He sustains all things. And, and I think of the birds of the air. And I go, I go back to this point almost yearly as I sit in a tree stand, and every evening at the same time, working through the woods is this flock of chickadees stopping on every branch and pecking away at every bud, and, and they move through there, and just like clockwork the next night, that same band of chickadees is moving through that same woods one twig at a time, and our Heavenly Father feeds them. It takes me right back to this passage of Scripture, kind of puts some things in, in perspective. When he tells us not to worry about anything in your life, he is not telling us that, that we must embrace some kind of fatalism that says, there's nothing you can do about it, just live your life. It's going to happen. That's not what he's saying. Nor is he calling us to this life of, of hedonism and, and the devotion to pleasure, being driven by pleasure. He is simply telling us, I am God. I've got everything under control, even to the birds of the air and the lilies of the fields. If God so clothed, verse 30, the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. The second time He gives this charge saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles, the world at large, seeks after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I don't know about you, I I read that, that particular phrase, and it brings a quietness to my spirit. 
because He does know our names. He does know our sorrows, and He does know our challenges, and He does know our needs. And He is going to look after us. Again, I'm not introducing some unrealistic optimism that says, oh, everything's going to be okay. Not, not at all. And yet, if we're going to look at this year as a year of opportunity instead of all of the obstacles, there's some simple things that we need to take into consideration. It includes this section saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What does that mean for us as we enter into a new year of uncertainty or the third year of a pandemic or the sky is falling kind of reality? In essence, Jesus is talking to those who are following. He is presenting Himself as Messiah. He is telling them to lay up their treasures in heaven. He's saying, you cannot serve two masters. It is me or something else. And then He says, I'm the only one that can sustain and keep you by giving some very clear promises. Now, there are some who say, well, these are just illustrations. Are they really? Because year after year after year, those chickadees keep coming back. And the flowers keep poking up. In fact, the weather's been so crazy, some of them are are, are today, aren't, aren't they? There's a cycle to life. God is in charge of that cycle. And He calls upon us not to be anxious and to understand and seek the kingdom, which is not some place or time in history in a generic kind of way. It is simply seeking the place where we realize that Christ is in charge. He rules over all things. And if we are His people, why don't we trust Him? It's a good lesson for all of us to learn and and to come to grips with. No doubt we can't look at the world with rose-colored glasses because there are some dire warnings taking place in our culture today. We must be aware of reality, not falling into some kind of pessimism. Maybe you know it as Murphy's Law. I know a little about that. I'm Murphy, right? If something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. That's not what it's not what we can live our lives by. We can't be driven by those kinds of things. And yet, not, not some optimism that says, oh, everything's going to be okay. Because if you don't deal with reality, the sun will come up tomorrow and they'll just illuminate that everything's not okay. Something has to happen and something has to give. And we must live life in a reality that doesn't bring fear or anxiety and despair but somehow based on absolute facts, ushers us into a reality that there is a Creator God who sustains the universe. We are His children, and He is going to take care of us. The problem sometimes is we make those promises horizontal in nature, and His promises are vertical in nature. He's not promised us an existence of life without conflict or trial and difficulty. It's not what He's promising at all. He's promising to sustain us in the midst of all of that and to remind us that that a better day is coming. And in, in the grand narrative plan of Scripture, eventually He will make all things new we're going to be realists and understand that, that there are universal truths that exist independently from our own personal thought, and, and if we're going to be realists in a sense where, where objective reality exists, whether we perceive it or not, we must embrace the reality as believers that there is a God. You're not Him, but He has everything under control. Jesus, in a masterful kind of way, points to creation and how God takes care of the smallest details of the created order for His glory. Music is very, very full of meaning and ministry for me, particularly words, although I like melodies as well. I go back to one of my favorite Christian authors, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and a simple song that he sang a number of years ago, Make Much of You, Jesus. Here's what he says. How could I stand here and watch the sun rise, follow the mountains where they touch the sky, 
ponder the vastness and the depths of the sea, and think for a moment the point of it all was to make much of me. That's what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. Stephen Kirst Chapman goes on to call us to make much of Jesus and to live today to give Him the praise, for He alone is worthy to make much of His mercy and much of His cross, yielding our lives and letting this God who takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field go before us on this journey until He makes all things new. So if indeed peace is available, if indeed there's a place where we can go, a universal truth, an objective reality that that puts some perspective on the bigger picture, is there a place where we can go that the world can turn to to experience the peace of God? I want to go back to the COVID shutdown era and remind you of a message that I preached the context of that shutdown where I was the only one in a big worship center speaking out loud to nobody who was here. The definition of crazy, perhaps, I I don't know. But I reminded you that day by day by day, I am surprised by the peace of God when the earth is trembling and the mountains fall into the midst of the sea. There's this overwhelming sense that this isn't the end of anything. It's it's all going to be okay. As I spoke that message, we reminded you of the peace of God, this, this notion of peace being a quietness and a rest, a yielding of the, of, of the inner turmoil for an inner kind of tranquility. But this peace doesn't mean that we never have why questions, and this peace doesn't mean that we understand everything that God is doing, and we go through those seasons, and that's why we must review these passages and be reminded that for whatever reason, God is doing what only He can do, whether we realize why or not. You know, I think some of the why questions, perhaps all of the why questions that we have today, will become irrelevant when we see Him face to face. We're not going to be filled in as to why God allowed or did such and such. Just to see Him will make perfect sense. He is the Creator, the Sovereign of the universe. He knows best, and all of our troubles are finally gone. We're called in the Scripture by Jesus Himself in John chapter 14 to experience a a presence of peace, a continual, perpetual, constant, daily peace, even in the midst of turmoil. But that demands a perspective, demands a perspective that allows us to look past what, what we see today to the question of, okay, how then do we respond in this passage in John chapter 14? Of course, that peace comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and through Christ Himself. He says to His disciples in some of His final comments before His ultimate betrayal and death, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. No matter what is happening in this world and in the particular context, it was what was going to happen and the coming days of His ministry with these disciples, where all of their dreams and ambitions were swallowed up in a betrayal and a crucifixion that created all kinds of why questions in their, in their minds that, that they would have to sort out, calling to remembrance through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all of the things that He had told them, reminding them that there's a place where our hearts are at peace, not troubled and agitated, not filled with fear. Instead, perceiving the opportunities presented to us, even a lost, in a lost and dying world. Paul, in prison in Rome, chained to a guard, pouring out his heart about God providing all of his needs, whether he is free or enslaved, whatever situation, whether he is abounding or without. He reminds us in chapter 4 of that book of Philippians 
that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul pours out his his heart and deepest feelings to the church at Philippi and calls them to this place of peace. He he reminds them of what they ought to be focused on, and those are focuses of opportunity. Read the chapter this afternoon, a glorious chapter. But when he gets done with the verses that we're normally familiar with, now think on these things, he tells his own personal story, and he said, listen, I'm not telling you what to do. I am striving to do it myself. And he reveals that he knows how to be abased and abound in all of the circumstances of his life. And he reminds us that this peace is possible in this world, even if you don't understand it entirely. If you've ever been a a recipient of that peace, I could give you some personal testimony this morning. Or in some of the worst of circumstances, I had this overwhelming sense. Kind of drove out my fear and what-ifs and the whys and just gave me this sense of calmness. One was in a, a very serious, serious accident. I was two weeks into my intern, uh, interim work here as your interim pastor, all the way back in, in 2001. I'm in this horrific car crash, and I'm worried about my family, and I'm in and out of consciousness, and there's blood all over me, and I know something is terribly wrong. In an instant, I also sensed, it's okay. It's okay. Just wait. Just relax. I remember the paramedic coming back to see me in Strong Memorial Hospital because when he got in through the car and climbed over the seats to the front, I said, do what you got to do. Everything's going to be okay. Have you heard that before? I thought, this guy's crazy. He's got a brain injury. Well, there was a little bit of that, but it was nothing about a brain injury. It was the recollection of all that I believe to be true. There is a God who has created, who has called me, who will sustain me, and there's a reason for everything under the heavens. And in the end, at the end of the story, I read the book, at the end of the story, everything's going to be okay. Do you know that kind of peace? If peace is really available in our world today, why is there no peace in our world today? If peace is really available to God's people today, why are God's people so restless? Those are important questions. Those are things that we have to deal with. And the problem isn't the restlessness. The problem is the continued controlling restlessness because we all get restless and we all worry about certain things. But there is an answer for those who are in Christ Jesus. The problem is there's this bifurcation that we have made in modern Christianity, and we have separated saving faith, only Jesus, with living faith, only Jesus, and whatever I can do to navigate the circumstances of life. And I'm here to tell you, only Jesus is the answer to both of those questions. That's what Jesus was conveying in the Sermon on the Mount. There is no peace of God in the most distressing times of life without achieving and first knowing the peace with God that only comes through Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us fail to understand that prior to our salvation, there was no peace with God. In fact, we are considered enemies of God, vessels fit for destruction, We were at war with the God of the universe who called us to a holiness, living our own lives on our terms. There is no peace, and there was no peace, because that peace only comes through Christ and Christ alone. As the apostles, those early disciples were facing this crisis of the final days of Jesus' public ministry, He says to them in John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be discouraged or agitated, restless, uncertain, filled with fear. He tells them later in that text, one of the most well-known verses of Scripture in chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. The reason that there's no peace out in the world is they have erased 
any semblance of, of God and Christ from the culture. The reason that there's no peace in the hearts and minds of many Christians today is they have bifurcated their faith, believing that Christ is sufficient for salvation, but not for my daily needs. And he reminds them in that text in Matthew, yes, he is. Even the birds of the air, he looks after and takes care of. And when we find our peace with God, when we find the restoration and the the forgiveness of our sins and, and the promise of the glorification of this body, then we really begin to grasp the deeper things. And those deeper things later in John chapter 14 remind us that our hearts do not have to be troubled nor afraid if we have found our hope in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And those disciples would grapple with that truth to such a degree that they would run away and hide away until reality became a part of their lives. And virtually all but one would sustain their faith until the day that their life was taken in persecution. Somehow, they reconciled what they knew with what they had been told and realize no matter what happens to me in this life, everything's going to be okay. And their martyrdom became a reality that we read about in pages of history. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, and you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But, Pastor, I'm a good person. Paul says, no, you're not. All of us have walked that path. All of us are enveloped by sin that separates us from God. He continues in verse 3, among whom we all once lived, now separating those who believe from those who don't, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but... God. What a glorious phrase to connect what once was to what is today. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved by faith. Raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages… Interesting. Remember what I told you a couple of weeks ago? Jesus always speaks within the eschatological perspective. He is always thinking long-term conclusion of the world as we, we know it, the promises of God. He says to us, in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His kindness towards us in Christ. You know what that means to me? When He shows me His endless kindness and this temporal existence, I am blessed beyond measure. He's talking about the fullness of His kindness being revealed in the end, not not today. But a healthy perspective helps us to count our blessings no matter how things are and no matter how things go. The problem is we want to compare our lives to everybody else, but everybody ate this morning, didn't you? Unless you're on a diet or fasting for so you, you ate, didn't you? Well, I didn't eat what they ate. That's, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. God takes care of us, and He blesses us, and ultimately we will experience this great kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, because by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I wonder if some need to just stop rushing and going hither and yon to try to find some peace and realize there is only one source. Our Savior, not a result of works, no room for boasting, and we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we can somehow come to this place of altering our perspective and seeing the big picture and finding quietness and restlessness… We must walk this very difficult line of paradox 
between understanding reality as probably going from bad to worse. But understand that no matter how worse it might get, what lies before us is a year of opportunities. And it's all in your perspective. It's all in your decision-making. It's all in answering, okay, how do I respond? Therefore, I suggest to you, even more than just suggest, I'm telling you this morning, there's no greater place to start the new year than here at this table. Because it reminds us of what matters most. It brings us back to the things that, that are most critically important. It focuses on the finished work of Christ in the past and on the promise of the finished work of Christ in the future. I'm glad you're here. You need to be here. I need to be here today because so often we get swallowed up by the cares of this world and fears that overtake us and anxieties that drive us to wrong conclusions, and we need to be reminded and somehow live out our lives knowing that indeed a better day is coming. Is that your hope this morning? When we come to this table of remembrance, hope is an empty promise if the object of your hope is some made-up fantasy or definition of God that somehow you created here in this world. For many people in the culture, maybe, maybe some who are we're here right now, you, you understand all of the elements of the gospel, but you have this generic God who kind of watches things go, maybe intervenes when He absolutely has to, comes alongside of you when you absolutely need Him instead of a God who is involved in every aspect and every area of your life, fully aware of every need that you have. And that generic kind of faith can never bring peace, and it can never bring hope. And the peace of God will always be kept from you because you don't know peace with God. And if you're asking, what does that mean, Pastor Jim? I'm glad you asked. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeketh after God. We are all born in sin as a result of Genesis chapter 3. From the moment we're born, we are conceived and then birthed in sin and living sin, and that sin separates us from God. There are no good people or bad people. There are redeemed people and unredeemed people, and you were all unredeemed people at one point in time. All of you were. Not good people. Finding your way to God, this journey and path to God. I, I found God. Are you kidding me? Couldn't find your socks in the morning. God found you. God found you. Are you thankful for that? Today, maybe you don't know. You've never understood. You've never come to grips with the fact that you are inherently sinful, a vessel of wrath, fit for destruction, guilty before a holy and righteous God coming out of this season of Christmas, at just the right time, Christ died for you. The Bible says the ungodly. That was all of us at one. Christ died. He came into this world, born of a virgin, lived a holy, sinless life, and died for your sins and my sins on the cross of Calvary. And neither is there salvation in any other. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. This isn't something that happens by osmosis. It's not something that a parent gifts to a child. It's not something that that kind of oozes and, and somehow you morph from one thing to another. There's a definitive time in everyone's life where they must come to grips with their sin and then grips with the good news of the gospel that Christ died for you according to the Scripture, was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scripture. And forgiveness of sins comes only through acknowledging and confessing your sin, turning from that sin, embracing what God has done for you through Jesus Christ and accepting Him 
Yes, I will say, as Lord and Savior, there is no bifurcation to this. This same Jesus who was crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Do you believe that? You're bought with a price through faith in Christ alone, and it changes everything. And every day we work on that a little bit because the worry comes, doesn't it? The concerns for other people, they, they come and dominate us. We, well, they wake in bed at night wondering what's next. But there's a hope and a promise that always brings us back to this eschatological perspective. God is on the throne and everything's going to be okay. And somehow he will use the worst of circumstances for his glory. What are my opportunities this year? Do you know him? There is no peace of God without peace with God, and peace with God only comes through Jesus Christ. So what we celebrate today is not a new year. What we celebrate is a Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and a promise that everything's going to be okay. I don't know about you. You might not have gained anything this morning, but this was important for me this week. Everything is going to be okay. Why? Because of the Savior. May you find that eschatological perspective. May you know Him as personal Lord and Savior and the peace that has proved to be so elusive in the last couple of years. May you know that peace that passes understanding only through only through the Savior. Rich Alt, would you ask the blessing on the bread, please? Father God, we come to you just uh, in awe of all you did the way you should. Your body on the cross of Calvary for our sin to make us righteous before you. We're so thankful for the grace that you gave us to know you to bring our petitions before you to know with a certainty you hear us you give us love joy and peace you give us comfort you're the one that gives us hope and we can't even imagine all you went through on that cross for our sin we come today to honor this table because you've committed us to to do it in remembrance of you we do that today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
want you to know it's a great privilege to serve the deacons, the Lord's Supper, as they serve you, the Lord's Supper, and fulfill God's calling for the work of the ministry. The same night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Romans chapter 5 again reminds us, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, declared righteous, rescued from our sin, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The difference between those who know and those who don't is a vast difference. For without a biblical worldview, everything in life becomes urgent. Without a biblical worldview, crisis looms on every front as we enter into a new year. Without a biblical worldview, all matters are matters of life and death. Perhaps you've heard of all of these existential crises. Without a biblical worldview, there is no hope for tomorrow, just gloom and doom. To know the Savior is to have life abundantly, to put things in perspective as the creator, sustainer, God, and to embrace an eschatological view of life. That simply means, a very big word, simply means not defining life by today or tomorrow, but in the grand narrative of Scripture, where we are promised that someday we shall see Him and become like Him, for we shall see Him as He is come to that revelation text by the Apostle John that reminds us that he will wipe away all tears from our eyes, and finally everything's going to be okay. For those of you facing the bigger issues of life today, I remind you that we are to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That is an eschatological perspective. And I sense that perhaps he's coming sooner than any of us can anticipate. And I join you in your prayers, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Sean Dilmore, would you ask the blessing on the cup? Dear Father, we just thank you for today and thank you uh, for this service and this time to come and remember all you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son uh, to be the savior of the world. To, to take on human form and be sent to a cross to pay a debt we couldn't pay. Thank you for his shed blood so that we may have forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the hope and the peace of God we can have through your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, when he had supped, Christ took the cup saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes. In the year of our Lord, 2022, May you always find Christ enough and even abundant in whatever might come this year. May you know the peace of God during the most trying times of your life. May you be reminded of His love when you feel so alone and are prone to fear. May you know His sustaining power at work in you regardless of your circumstances. May you never lose heart. For this same Jesus once crucified and risen from the dead, God has made both Lord and Christ. And in the future, 
perhaps nearer than we ever thought, we will worship Him together as He makes all things new. So take heart. May you experience the peace with God that brings about the peace of God, and may that peace of God keep you as you patiently wait in anticipation for the coming of our Savior. And may the God of peace reveal Himself in all His glory as you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, seizing the opportunities in this coming year. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness and goodness to us. We thank You for such an important and timely reminder. We pray that we might find that peace of God